thank you. Thank you. Sit down. It's awesome. Don't you love Ash? I tell you. Man, I want to be 25 again. How about that, huh? Isn't it the truth? Ash, I'm so proud of you. You're an amazing guy. And thank you, everyone, for being here. How many have enjoyed this series, Power Not Power, huh? It's been great. We're going through the book of Acts. And uh, so glad that you've been faithful every single week. We're winding down the year now. Can you believe we're only a couple of weeks, really, from Thanksgiving week? That's pretty amazing. In three weeks, it'll be Thanksgiving. So uh, it's just it's just moving, and uh, it's been exciting. God's been doing incredible things for us here on Wednesday nights, and we're continuing in this series, Power Not Power, and uh, and, and tonight we're going to talk about the power of life-changing encounters, okay? And, and we want to look here at the uh, conversion of a notorious angry man who has taken out Christians known as Saul of Tarsus. Okay, later he became Paul the Apostle. That's right. And he had an encounter with God. And I want to tell you this. Encounters, they transform people to change into a version of themselves that nobody anticipated or nobody expected. That's what an encounter does. There's potential in broken people far beyond what those people realize. And when God takes a person's life and forgives them and restores them and redeems them and changes them, they become something that actually blows people's minds. How many have experienced that yourself? Absolutely. Let me just ask you here. How many have had somebody, you've had a friend, okay? Maybe like a party buddy from high school or college or something like that. And they were so far from God, okay? I, I mean, they were the most notorious sinner that you know. You know, you think sinner, you put their name right beside it, right? Fill in the blank. And, and so when you're thinking of that person, you say, there is no way that person is going to show up in the house of God. And they're probably saying the same thing about you, okay? So that's the way it works. And, but, but let me just tell you this. All of that to say that the power of God, nobody is beyond the redemptive and transformational power of Jesus. And we're going to see this tonight in the life of Paul. So around here at Dream City... You know, we, we pray for people. We, we, we believe that God touches lives. He has encounters with people. And, and you know, in, in the church world, they use a phrase. They use several phrases. We used to have the 10 most, we call them the 10 most wanted. 10 people that we felt were so far from God. We were praying for them every single day to get saved. Some churches call it the long shots. The long shot, you know, the, the person, you know, we, we have people that we pray for in our own world, right? We have those family members that are far from God. We have those kids and all of that. But think of that guy or that girl, you know, that, that are, they're the, in your mind, they're the unsavable. I mean, they are the long shot, right? That's who they are. You've got all those ones. Then you've got these people that are out there. You feel like I'll never see that person in the house of God. That's the long shot. In fact, it's kind of like in high school, you had the yearbook. Remember, in your yearbook every year, they had the most likely to succeed, right? Everybody would vote for the most likely, right? There was the most likely to be on a yacht, you know, or to live on a yacht. The most likely to live in Hollywood, right? You know, I was voted the most likely to be a jockey. Don't ask me what that means. But... <clears throat> <laughs> but... 
Just trying to keep you awake. Here we go. But, but this award, it, it, what I'm talking about with this long shot, this award would be the least likely to ever go to church. And, and, and it, that's the people I'm talking about, these long shots in your life, okay? So think of that right now. And I want to show you here tonight how God used the church. He used the sovereignty of God and an encounter with God for a long shot. A guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, later to be known as the Apostle Paul. Now, let me mention this. The Apostle Paul, he was an angry young Jewish zealot before he became the Apostle Paul. He was religious, right? And what we know historically about religious uh, uh, leaders and, and religious zealots like this, they've been guilty of much bloodshed, and that's what this guy did. Saul was that way. He was yet to come into an encounter with the living God. In fact, think of this. He thought he was doing God's service. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. You know, and so this is kind of a setup for an encounter with God that is going to change the world as as we know it. In chapter 7 is where it all begins. This is kind of the back story, the context in, in chapter 7. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they grabbed this young leader. His name was Stephen. He was a deacon in the New Testament church. Stephen was being used. I mean, he was being used by God, but he was falsely accused by the religious leaders. They accused him of blasphemy. And so they said, we're going to stone you to death. And, and it, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But when they stoned Stephen to death, what happened to the church was a great persecution started. And there was a scattering of believers then. They couldn't stay in their homes. They were hunted. They were beaten. They were killed. And here's the thing. The more they were scattered, the more they were driven from their homes, here's what the church did. They just preached the gospel wherever they went. That's what they did. They were so filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. That whatever the enemy is throwing at you here today, it will never slow you down or derail the will of God in your life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and fully surrender to the, to the purposes of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. Nobody can take you out of the center of God's perfect will but you. Nobody can do it but you. So as long as we're filled with grace and power and the Spirit... That's how God takes us to our purpose and our destiny. So that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of the context for the story tonight. So now we move down to Acts chapter 9, okay? So in Acts chapter 9, here it is. Thank you. Somebody loves Acts 9. That's beautiful. Here it is. <clears throat> Meanwhile, let me read this. It's a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture, but it'll be on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. It says, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and arrest of any of followers of the way that he found there. Now, the way was the church, okay? They were called Christians first in Antioch later. They were called Christians, and it was more of a demeaning term. It was there, though, those are the little Jesus, little Christs walking around. And, and so they were known as the way following the, the Messiah uh, uh, before that and to others. So he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Get that visual. He's going house to house. This is Saul of Tarsus. He's going house to house, pulling out not just men, but women, putting them in chains, taking them to Jerusalem to be tried and then to be executed, put to death. This is Saul. 
And in the midst of this, God had a plan and he had an encounter. He planned an encounter with Saul. Check out this encounter. Verse 3. He was approaching Damascus on the mission. A light, and heavy, uh, a, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then here's what Saul did. He, 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 was, he gets up, opens his eyes. He's blind. He can't see. So his buddies grab him by the hands and they take him to the city, to the place that that the Lord told him to go. And he stayed there for three days. Now, in the meantime, God gives a vision to a Christian in that town, a godly man named Ananias. And, and, and he tells Ananias, I want you to go pray for this guy, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias said, well, Lord, <laughs> excuse me here, but I've heard about this guy and he's killing people. And, and I just don't feel good about this. And so here's what the Lord said. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. That's a whole different message, but I'll move on. Here it is. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, now get this, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell off Saul's eyes. He regained his sight, got up, was baptized, ate some food, regained his strength. Now that's a conversion moment. How many know what I'm talking about? Pretty amazing stuff. The least likely to get saved in all of Israel, and it happened. That's the power of an encounter, an encounter with God and his church and how he uses people to change lives. God didn't just do it then, he still does it Today, God is into encounters. How many have experienced that in your life? Good. Let me ask you a personal question. Paul was the long shot. Who's the long shot in your life? Think about it. Who's the person in your life that comes to mind, that picture that you've thought about, you've prayed about? I want to tell you something. God can customize an encounter for everyone. He can customize an encounter for that person that you don't think could ever get saved that will turn their faith just like he did the Apostle Paul. We serve a supernatural God that still does it today. Can you say amen? Now, something in the text that we just read. God told Ananias, here's what he said. He said, Paul is my chosen instrument. Did you see that? My chosen instrument. I want you to get this. God chooses people long before they choose him. You hear that? God chooses people. And, and, and the choosing of Saul is not some, you know, holy one-off incident. You got to hear this. God chose you. God chose me. Look at what Romans 5, 8 says. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says in 1 Peter that you are a chosen generation. You're a holy people set apart for God's possession. And that's all while we've been running from God in rebellion. He was drawing us to himself. See, God has a purpose. He has chosen everyone he has created with a purpose and a direction for the life. Now, what's that? We've got to choose him, right? And when we choose him, then he has reveals his purpose and his plan and his choice for our lives. That's just the way it works. It runs hand in hand and it's awesome. But God chose us before the foundations of the earth. 
He wants everyone to be brought into repentance. Everyone to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for their lives. And there's so many people, I know they're listening to this, that, 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 that they haven't discovered God's purpose for their life yet. You just haven't. Some of you don't even realize that you've been chosen. See, that God has a purpose for you. He's been bumping around. He's been walking into, you know, wondering what's next. But God sees the version of you after you've been cleansed, after you've been forgiven and made right. And he ignites then those gifts that he's called you to in your life. So there's a choosing that goes on here. And as we follow Christ or we hear this message, we say yes to Jesus. And then this gifting and the choosing becomes evident. And with Saul of Tarsus, it was an encounter that he experienced. Now, God is a God of encounters, right? He's a God of encounters. And some people downplay it, you know, uh, you know, being charismatic churches, Dream City Church, all of that, you know, because sometimes we get critiques like, you know, Things like, you know, what, what, are you, what are you guys all about? All you're about is emotions, right? You know, you guys down there, you care. You're all about emotions. You're all about experience, you know. He's just a bunch of whatever. So just, you're just going after the experience. You know how I always answer that? Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, buddy. I am. I love it. Of course I'm after that. And you read the Bible. Just look through the Bible. It's a book filled with stories that are of recorded history about people who encountered the supernatural God. Think about it. Right now, any character in the Bible you want in the whole Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, you know, Esther, uh, Luke, Paul, all of them, any, Daniel, Job, every one of them, think about them. They all had a supernatural encounter. Because we serve, we understand that our God is supernatural and he invades the life of the natural. And when we encounter him, it, it, it's more than just doctrine and theology. You're going to have a vision. You're going to have a moment. You're going to have something in your life that can and will radically change the way that you see God from that day forward. That's an encounter with God. That's an experience. So I believe in encounters. How about you? I believe in experience. I pray for encounters. And if you haven't had one, well, we're going to pray that you have one tonight. And, and not just for the experience. Hear this. Not just for the feeling, but so that you can see him. That's what it's about. See, and, 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 and you'll have something that you can hold on to for the rest of your life. Something happened to me in that moment that I cannot deny. Can you imagine Paul in his weak moments he would go back over and over again to where that light came. Knocked him off his horse and the voice came from heaven and he said buddy I know it's real. I can take the beating. I can take the, the, the crucifix. I can take whatever it means because this thing is real. I've encountered a true and living God. I'm looking for that myself. That's what God wants for us. I better take a nerve pill, Pastor. I've got issues. Okay. Well, you know I have issues anyway, so I got to move on. So let's, go, let's get back to what happened that led up to Paul's encounter. Here it is. We see the church is thriving. People are coming back to Christ. Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7 talk about how the church is doing so well. And it is, it's growing. Religion, and, and, and this whole time, the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, were irate because they were losing their people to this new movement. And so they said, we got to stop this movement 
we got to kill its leaders. So that's what they did. They went out and they dragged one of the leaders, Stephen, a deacon, before this court. And they had a kangaroo court, mock accusation, claimed that he was blasphemous, you know, he was blaspheming God. And so they, they, they come up to him and, and they ask him, they said, is it true? Just one question, is it true? Are you guilty of blaspheming God? Now he answers this, here's, here's his answer. He says, brothers and fathers, the glory of God appeared to Abraham. <laughs> it's out of the blue. He has this sermon prepared for these guys, okay? He gives them this Old Testament history lesson. You know, when they asked him this one question, he jumps through 2,000 years and he covers 1,000 years of Jewish history. He covers 14 generations. He goes through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He goes through all of them. And then he gets down to David. Now he introduces Jesus into the timeline because one of the titles that Jesus had was... Son of, there you go. So now he says, let's connect the dots, guys. Okay, and so now he's telling the thing. And here it is. He was saying that Jesus was the theme of the whole Bible, of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was the theme of it all. And these guys are not getting it. Here they read the same prophecy. They read the same Torah. But they just couldn't see Jesus in the story. So Stephen here, he's preaching this sermon. And he's going, he's, he's, he's right on target, anointed. And, and he turns the corner after this long exegesis of the Old Testament. And, and, and then he comes to the big response, okay? This is where he's gonna get his response. They're all gonna repent, right? Here's what it says. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, look, I see heaven open. I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they put their hands over their ears, I can just see this, and began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats, laid them at the feet of a young man man named Saul and they stoned him and as they did Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit he fell to his knees shouting Lord don't charge them with this sin and with that he died and Saul was one of the guys there that not only witnessed this but he completely agreed with the killing of Stephen so what I want to do in these next few moments is I want to give you some observations about this thing we just read from Paul's encounter that he had with God that I believe, hear this, that God wants you and I to embrace as we are praying for the Apostle Paul's, the Saul of Tarsus in our own lives, those far from God, those long shots in our lives. How do they come? To, how can we be a part of them coming to know God and having this encounter? That's what we're going to talk about in these next few moments. So first observation I want you to look at. You may want to write it down or take a picture of it. Here it is. Someone was reflecting the beauty of Jesus and did not know who was watching. They didn't know who was watching. They didn't even care. I, I want you to get this scene. These angry leaders, these re religious leaders, 
You know, they, Stephen begins to talk about Jesus being enthroned, right? And they're picking up boulders the size of grapefruits. And before they begin to throw the rocks, what do they do? They take off their coats and they lay them at the feet of this up-and-comer in the Jewish hierarchy. Man, he's making it as a Pharisee and he's, he's becoming the new guy. And they lay them at his feet, Saul of Tarsus. And he witnesses something. He witnesses Stephen now while he's being killed and being put to death. And what does Stephen say that Paul is watching? He says, I see the Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. And then he cries something else out. With his dying breath, he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He says, don't charge them with it. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Jesus was on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So the spirit of Jesus is all over Stephen and he's reflecting the glory of God in this moment. And I can't help but surmise this, that the apostle Paul, as he stood there as Saul of Tarsus and he saw the radiance and the glory of God on Stephen, something began to impact his heart. Something started to move on him and he was being set up The Holy Spirit was setting him up for his conversion. This is just the first step. And the Bible tells us, listen, as Christ followers, what are we? We are living epistles, right? That's what Stephen was. In other words, you're a love letter from God to other people to read. They read you. Let me put it this way. Somebody's watching you. People are watching your life. Especially if you say, well, I go to Dream City Church. You know? I'm down there with those guys. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on one of, the, one of the teams that goes out, ministers. You know, I'm in a group up there. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I do that. People are watching you when you say that. Not just to condemn you. Not just to shame you or call you a hypocrite. They'll do that. But listen, people are watching you because they're hoping to see a glimpse, a reflection of the Jesus that you claim to know. See, everybody has a spiritual hunger. Every person does. Pastor used to always say, you've got that. Every person has a a God-sized hole in their heart that can only be satisfied by God. See, and when I'm filled with his love, when I'm filled with his glory, what do I do? I begin to reflect the essence of God. How many would say, Brad? I am a recipient of grace in my life. Lift your hand. Yeah, I'm a recipient of grace. And listen, when that grace hits your heart and it hits your life, there's a natural thing that happens, a natural reflection. So it's a bigger deal than just coming to church. Listen, it's, it's, it's that we're filled with the spirit when we come. And that changes the way people see us in the world. It should change the way people see us. You see, it says of Stephen that he was filled with the spirit of God. He knew the word of God, bold in his testimony. His reflection influenced a man that would change the world forever. Think about it. His influence changed Saul, who took the gospel to an unreached world. He wrote letters that we're still reading today, 2,000 years later. Stephen did all of this in 29 years of his life. He was 29 years old. And some would say, boy, that just seems like a wasted life. 29, think of all that future potential. 29 years of life. Well, think of this. Jesus was 33, right? Same thing. Prime of his life. But what did Jesus say? 
Here's what he said. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're gonna save it. Isn't that amazing? It's true. And somebody says, I don't get that. Well, understand it this way. There's a version of my future that is lower level. It's down here. It's the future for every single one of us. And he's saying that if you just try hanging on to your reputation, hanging on to your money, hanging on to your stuff throughout all of your life, listen, he's saying you're gonna lose that eventually. You're gonna lose out on the greater purpose that you were created for, on the greater purpose of why you're on this planet. But when you die to yourself, when you say, Jesus, take all of me, take my life, take my marriage, take my business, my finances, it's yours. I just submit to you. He says, in that moment, now you're living for something that's much bigger than yourself. See, you're living a life now for eternity. And that's what he's called us to. It's never a waste to spend your life for the glory of God because your life can impact generations. And it does. A young missionary Jim Elliott, you've heard the story. He was the subject of the movie, Tip of the Spear. The Symbols of God missionary, went to Ecuador. He was called at 28 years old. In the 1950s, went to Ecuador. And he, he ministered to a group of people, an indigenous tribe that had never been reached before. And, 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 and incredibly, this group of people ended up taking his life. He became a martyr on the mission field. But he left a legacy for missionaries and ministries that would go out from that day forward. I mean, his short lifespan affected so many people and is still affecting people today. He gave the famous quote that many of us have heard. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yeah, that's powerful. See, and I just call you today. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. But if you're on the peripheral of all this stuff, maybe you've never surrendered your life to God. You know, if you're trying to hang on to your version, you know, of your little thing here and just try to get a little bit of Jesus in with it. Let me tell you, there's a glorious moment that's available to you when you say, Lord, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. So I lay down my life. I say, Jesus, whatever you want for my future, I'm all in. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. If you do that today, it'll change your life. It'll be an encounter that will change your life. Some of us need an encounter with God, a fresh encounter with God today for him to be so real and so change your future and your destiny. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. Second thing, the church also, second observation about Saul's conversion, the church was experiencing consistent supernatural activity because of fervent prayer. Did you hear that? Because of fervent prayer. That's why these things were happening. See, not much happens around the church that doesn't pray, right? A non-praying church is a dead church. There's a lot of religion out there. You can have, man, the smoke and mirrors. You can have all the stuff going on and, and you know, great lectures and, 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 and sermons. But let me tell you, if people aren't praying, you're not going to have the river of the Holy Spirit moving through the aisles and doing the things that we've been seeing him do here on Wednesdays and on Sundays. No, it's not going to happen. A praying church. You know what? Isaiah, Jesus, God said this in Isaiah. He said, my house will be called what? A house of prayer. That's our mantra for our Wednesday nights, the house of prayer. So the primary call for all of us as believers is to pray, is to prayer. 
And I would submit this, that Paul's conversion was simply, was, was, was uh, simply a, not a one-off sovereign moment where God says, I'm going to grab this rebellious murderer. No, but it was actually a result of spiritual activity that was happening in the church. People pray. There's a cause and effect when a church prays. One of the founding fathers of the Methodist movement, Pastor Ash, mentioned him a couple weeks ago, John Wesley. He gave this great quote. He said, God does nothing on earth except in response to believing prayer. Ian Bounds, the great author, he wrote, God shapes the world by prayer. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. That's awesome. Jesus He said this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Are you still with me? Is everybody still with me here? Some of you are looking like you're glazing over, so punch someone near you if you need to get them going, because I want to make sure you're with me on this, because listen, I feel like we need to be called up a little bit more to prayer and fasting if we want to see the hand of God moving in our lives and in our church. You know, some of you maybe have never stepped into that water before. But this is a time to start jumping into it, okay? Because I don't know if you've looked around, but what's happening in the world right now, you, you got to see, it, it, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, there's an uprising of evil all over the earth. And it's not just in the Middle East. Man, it's right here in the U.S. of A., baby. We've got it right under our nose. There's wickedness in our nation. There's wickedness in our world. It's an onslaught. The enemy, he goes about like a roaring lion. But God says, I will have the last word because I'm pouring out my spirit on my church. I'm waking up the body of Christ to prayer and fasting. And there's a supernatural move of the spirit that's happening. And God's, God's saying, hey, Dream City, do you want to be a part of this? You know, And I'm saying, yes, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. And don't pass us by. We want to be at the front end of all of this stuff. Find us praying. Find us fasting. Find us worshiping in the middle of what you're doing all around us through your people in the midst of the darkness. He's raising up a remnant and he's saying, are you with me? And I'm saying, baby, I'm with you. Now that's just a free rant, okay? You don't have to pay for that one. All right. But I have to ask a question like this. Why is the Americanized church, why is the American church so impotent I'm not talking about this church. I'm not. You see God do so many incredible things, but, but there are places. And, and you see in the American church at large so that, that, that there's no power when it comes to deliverance and radical salvations and healings. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're declining in this country. Even people going to church. Why is it? I mean, compare the book of Acts to 2023 American Christianity. Even even the Christianity around the world compared to American Christianity, right? Think of it. There's a big gap of authority, power, and results. Here's my conclusion for what it's worth. The church has not been activated in prayer and fasting. Bottom line, we've got good at coming to church once a month, maybe twice a month. Not condemning anybody, just sharing the news, Okay. You know, we're in a little group. We do our thing. We grow. We go to the marriage class every now and again if we need help. We go to a financial thing. We get counseling if we need help, right? 
But it is the church that gives themselves to prayer and fasting and releasing the weapons of warfare that begin to shift things in the spirit realm. When we pray and we fast, we watch God shake things up. We watch what God will do for those long shots that we're praying for in our lives. And we're not seeing it happen. We pray and we fast. Let me just get a real quick check here. How many parents are in this room that have kids that are away from God? They're away from God. You pray for them all the time. Let me give you some encouragement right now, can I? Let me give you some encouragement. Here it is. Never stop praying for those kids because you'll be tempted to. You'll be tempted to. You'll say, man, after so many years, man, how long do I have to keep? Don't stop. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 18. It says, Jesus told his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. And then let me encourage you with something else. Add to the prayer fasting. Add to the prayer fasting. Remember when Jesus was just going along and he had breathed on his disciples and he said to them, you know, go do the work of the ministry. And, 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 but they had a lack of power. Remember the story? And, the, and then this dad comes and he busts out and he says you know, to Jesus, he said, I brought my demonized son to, to your boys and they couldn't even cast out one demon, just one little demon, you know, one little guy. He says, you know, and, and, it, and he knew what Jesus said. Jesus said, some of these spirits do not come out except how? Through prayer and fasting and fasting. Isaiah 58, read this later. God said, when you fast, like I'm telling you, he says, I'm going to release the chains of the oppressed. I'm going to open the prison doors. The glory of God is going to shine on you. Your healing will appear quickly. The Lord will hear you when you pray. All of those are rewards of fasting. I remember my dad and my mom. One year, this was many years ago, they had been praying for my dad's siblings, five siblings he had, and they'd been praying for them for years. Buddy, they were rough. They lived down in Armadale, all of them, and they were rough. They were the long shots, every one of them. And when they, they prayed for them for years, but finally they said, I'm gonna, let's get some Bibles and let's give them to them. Let's pray over these Bibles. My mother and my dad fasted before they did this and they prayed. They hadn't done that before. They fasted and they prayed. They prayed over those Bibles. They gave those Bibles to every single one of those siblings. And within a year, maybe a year and a half, every single one of the siblings came to Jesus. Long shots, all of them. All of them Apostle Paul's. Don't tell me prayer and fasting doesn't work. So I've got, if you've got some stuff in your life that you can't get free of, if you've got somebody, something, in, you're in bondage, listen, it's time to push back the plate and start fasting for some sons and for daughters right now who are far from God. The long shots, fast for the long shots. Fast for the breakthrough that you need in the city and in your family. Are you hearing this today? See, I'm calling you up here today to tithe, you know? But not just to tithe, to go above and beyond. This is in every area of our life, to go above and beyond. Kingdom builders, that's what we're doing. Let's go above and beyond. Calling you up to pray, not just to pray, to fast. You want to see things change? Do that. To reach those who are far from God. That's what the church, the church needs to be the church. To rise up and be the church in this hour. And come up and help me. I, I, I just, I get on these rants and I just forget to call people up. So come on up and help me in this thing. Let me give you the final one. Are you okay here today so far? All right. We're going to finish this in a second. Here's the last one, last observation. Someone took Saul by the hand and walked with him into his calling. 
I want you to see this final verse. Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, check that, brother Saul. Get that picture. Here's the apostle Paul. See, he, he, he didn't become who he was merely by having this encounter on the road. See, someone had reflected the glory of God to him, Stephen. Someone had prayed and fasted for the spiritual atmosphere in the city, the people of the church. And someone grabbed him by the hand and walked with him. That was Ananias. He couldn't get there by himself. Let me be clear on this one. You'll never get to where God's called you to by doing it solo, apart from the body of Christ. And there are people in the world, let me tell you, they're stumbling around, they're running in, they're, they're, they're not gonna find their place in the house or their place in ministry or in freedom unless someone grabs them by the hand and says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, let me ask you a question. Who do you need to grab by the hand? Who do you need to walk with? Who do you know that's stumbling in their journey that simply just needs an Ananias in their life? Somebody full of the grace of God, able to hear the voice of God, spend their life in prayer and fasting, being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Who is that in your world? Because this is an hour, I said it, for the church to rise up. It's an hour for us to move in that kind of power. So that's what this is tonight. This is a call for all of us to come up, to reflect the glory of God, to seek his face fasting, praying, to look for those that we can walk alongside of to encounter God. Remember, we've got Thanksgiving right around the corner. We've got Christmas right around the corner. People we will not see the rest of the year. We've got an opportunity right now to be praying and fasting and believing God to change those lives of people in our families that we never thought could get saved. What's it going to take? You know, we can do this, but we just got to rise up and say, this can happen. I want more than anything for my long shot to encounter a living, breathing, moving, powerful God in their lives, just like I have. Are you with me tonight? Why don't you stand to your feet as we close out? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, God, for what's been happening in this place and so many people that are just so sincere and we want so much from you. But God, we realize that when you fill us up, you fill us up for a reason. You fill us up uh, to be poured out and to be spilled out and to be able to reach and to touch and to do for others what you've done for us. So God, let this be a new beginning. And there's so many in this room that need to encounter you. They need to experience you. They need an encounter like Saul had. Maybe some have had one in the past, but it's just, it's, it's, so, it's so distant for them. They need you, God, to do something supernatural in their lives. And I pray that today will be the day that that happens. How many of you would say, Brad, I need a supernatural encounter with God in my life. Maybe you're far from him. Maybe you just felt distant, but you need God. You need to encounter him like, like Saul did in a new and a fresh way. Lift your hand right now. I want to see your hand. Put it down. How many of you would say, Brad, I have some long shots in my life that I'm praying for. I have people that I need to see God. I've, I've sometimes lost hope, but I, I just want to believe. I know they can come to Christ. And yeah, lift your head. Here's what we're going to do. Take down the stanchions. Here's the way we're going to end. Bring your communion with you. We're going to have communion here at the end. 
But I want, if you lifted your hand on any of those, and if you just want to come, I want you to fill the front because we're going to have corporate prayer and communion up here in the front. Come on out. If you have a long shot or if you are in a place where you need an encounter with God, as Harrison and the team sings, I want you to come to the front. Let's worship God as they come, would you?